0: You're listening to the Cheer Biz Podcast, where we dive into the business of running and owning your gym. Join us as we speak to industry experts, business gurus, and discuss how we can take your passion and turn it into profit. Let's get to it hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the cheer biz podcast i'm your host dan cotton and today i am super excited we have one of our first dual interviews so two people at once and we are sitting down with two of the people behind the open championships uh we've got craig hallmark who is i believe the scoring director i'm going to let them talk for themselves and then we have heidi weber who is the executive director uh, of the Open. So super excited to have both of you on. And I, I really appreciate you carving some time out of your busy schedules. Would you mind for those who are listening who who don't know who you are, uh, don't know your background, would you mind giving people a little bit of a background on your evolution and cheer and what it is you're doing right now?
1: Sure.
2: Craig, you can start. All right. Craig Hallmark, Scoring Director for the Open Championship Series. And I've been in the industry since 1996. Cheered in high school, cheered in college, owned a cheerleading gym for 20 years, sold the cheerleading gym back in 2017, and uh, been scoring and judging all across the world um, since the early 2000s. Uh, been fortunate enough to travel um, Australia, the UK, Finland, Mexico several times. Many, many fun opportunities and um, legalities was kind of my specialty. So I was a safety, legality judge for years, um, but owned in the gym and doing choreography for our own teams and things like that made me super knowledgeable in the score sheet. And so um this role kind of opened up and Heidi and David um both have been friends of mine for years. Um we're all in Oklahoma and it was a good fit. And so I, I took this role on this is my second year and and we're we're having a good time. So uh we're training judges, training coaches on our score sheets and that's kind of what my role is within the organization is to educate the coaches, educate the judges, train them and get some feedback from everybody and make it a better sport for all of us. Okay.
0: Awesome.
1: Well, I'm Heidi Weber. I'm the Executive Director of Operations for the Open Championship Series and the all World Championship. And I got my uh, career started in cheerleading kind of like everybody else started as a cheerleader, um, went into coaching out of college and spent about, oh goodness, about 17 years coaching, mostly on the scholastic side, spent a lot of time coaching um, high school, and then eventually collegiate cheerleading. Started in a company, an apparel company called American Spirit and Cheer Essentials. So ran that for about 12 years. And in the process, uh, started working more and more with all-star cheerleading gyms and uh, doing their apparel t-shirts and some practice wear. we did uniforms, uh, as well. And then we transitioned into events. So we started offering for our customers that were using our apparel, they were asking for more event options. So we transitioned into events, kind of started just with one event for a few years and then, um, branched out and created the celebrity championships brand. So I am the owner of that. And then also, uh, eventually, decided that we wanted to do more brands, um, got involved with the what was at one time called the IEP, which is now the CDIP, um, Cheer and Dance Industry Professionals. Spent some years uh, developing relationships with event producers and other industry providers in that organization. And I just actually, this was my last year as the president. I'm the past president now of that organization. Got to spend time with some amazing event producers and started collaborating on projects, which is where the Open Championship Series kind of was birthed out of those collaborations. And then also started um, a partnership with David Owens and we began the Gold Rush events um, that some people are familiar with. And then we um, embarked into the biggest uh, journey of them all, which became the All-Star World Championship. And uh, now we're we're here today. So (laughs) that's kind of a little quick history on that.
0: Awesome. So tell me, what is it that sets the Open Championship Series apart? Like, why are you guys, where are you different?
1: Um, I think originally what made us so different is um, we just really took a lot of time to like take in what the customers were saying they needed for the success of their businesses. So we spent a lot of energy being very relational. When we first started the organization, we talked with event producers, gym owners, coaches. We kind of took in the feel of what they loved or hated about the current um, industry and, and the things that they saw that they needed to be more successful. Um, our mindset and our mission is always to try to create sustainability, growth, and the ability for our customers, which are the gyms to have um, continued business. And so I think we have a very, um, self-aware model where we're constantly trying to interact and be flexible with our customer base so that they can um, implement things that will actually help their businesses grow so yes we are mostly a an event producing company i mean we're somewhat of a system now at this point with the rankings and the bids and and all of that but if we don't help our customers uh, sustain, grow, have options to continue their businesses to be successful, then ultimately we're in this ecosystem together, and we we kind of all would would eventually fail together as well too. So,
0: yeah, wow, I love that. I mean, that's a is that one of your core like values as a company?
1: Absolutely, and I mean, we really take it in. Uh, you know, I can let Craig speak to this on a recent scoring change, but we really do take it very serious. When we make these big decisions, you know, we, we broke off onto our own scoring a couple seasons ago. And, you know, with any time you make change, there's always going to be a push and pull to that. So people ask for change. They want options. But then as you implement those things, you're going to get a little bit of a pushback or, hey, this isn't what I'm comfortable with. And so you're kind of rubbing against that consistently but what we we don't get to share a lot of and it's kind of fun to be able to talk to you about it is we spend a lot of energy doing surveys having focus groups talking to people we don't take any of those decisions and just go oh hey you know like the five of us got in a room together and decided this is how it's going to be there's like months and months of long preparation for that and and craig can kind of give an example if you want to about how we did this new tumbling change and scoring
2: Oh, yeah. With even the tumbling change that we implemented just recently, it's not something we would ever expect to do something this late in the season. But, you know, we had our focus group that we had back in January. We had about 10 to 15 people that were active in the focus group, choreographers, coaches, gym owners, um, judges. And after about two months, we thought we had the rubric exactly what we wanted. We released that in March. Then, as choreography and teams, you know, work throughout the summer, and other scoring systems are releasing things, and and teams are bouncing back and forth between events and things like that. We were, we were getting some pushback, and and we were like, well, let's just do a survey and kind of see how this actually is affecting people and impacting people, and if that's something that we need to make an adjustment on. And so uh, we sent out a survey. I do a monthly uh, coaches Zoom call. We've got about eight hundred and fifty coaches that sign up for that right now, and so I sent that survey out to those eight hundred and fifty people. We got. Close to 400 people respond in about 48 hours, which was a really good turnout for us. We were really excited about that, and um, we noticed about 90% overwhelming response that they needed a change and wanted a change. So we were like, "All right, let's um, let's make some adjustments." And so we did that and uh, made some adjustments and gave a couple couple of week notice that it was going to make an adjustment on the scoring system, and got some great positive feedback that we were doing what the customer was wanting. We are helping everybody out in that in that sense. And, but still keeping our core value of our scoring system. We do believe that our scoring system is um, important for the industry to be able to separate the degree of difficulty and not just be able to max everything out for difficulty. Uh, we don't think that everybody should be able to max out and things like that. And so we wanted to keep those core values of that to know that there is a there's a difference in some teams and they need to be rewarded if they are more difficult than others. We have some flexibility with being able to move quickly that's a great thing with our organization, but we also make sure that we don't make those decisions on our own. We don't make we're, we're not in a silo. It's not just Craig Hallmark's scoring system. It is a a team of people that, uh, that we kind of collaborate with all across the U.S. and all aspects of the industry before we make any changes or decisions. So we're we're lucky that uh, that we have those responses and we get that feedback from the customer and that they know that we aren't just sitting on the information. We're actually going to make it better for them and make it a better season for them if we can.
0: So I have a couple follow-up questions to that. So one is I don't compete on the open score sheet. Uh, We don't really have a lot of open score sheet options out here in the Pacific Northwest. So I'm not on that score sheet. So what was the tumbling change that you made?
2: So we originally had for running tumbling, we were requiring all of the elite passes to be in the same section to get the top driver score. We removed that same section requirement and made it a cumulative. If they hit their elites cumulatively by max throughout the routine, then they can get the top driver for that. By doing that, we adjusted and added a backend innovation and variety driver. So we're looking for additional passes because we needed to give a couple of other tenths somewhere else since we were removing that one because that was, that was worth 0.4. Now it's only worth a 0.2 for the elite passes throughout the whole routine cumulatively. So... That was the big change that we did. We didn't require it to all be in the same section.
0: And so how do you how do you balance that having another industry leader with the United score sheet? So you have there's bit really two score sheets in the industry, right? There's the open score sheet and the united. Then there's a few other here's and there's, but those are the two most commonly utilized. So how do you balance when to pivot and when to adjust? and you know. Which one's the tail? Which one's the dog? Or is either? Are are you both independent of each other, just slightly influencing? So, how do you balance that?
1: I mean, it can be difficult. You know, the truth is, is that um, when we broke off and decided to do our own scoring, we just had to really build a scoring system that we felt like was fun. We fundamentally believed in, and also still didn't break so far away from what people were used to and had experience in that we were causing a major shift. We had some things in our first year that were a little bit, quite a little bit different. And it was very difficult for people to make that. And, and a lot of it's just like a mind, a mind change or a mind shift. And so when you've kind of been used to doing things a certain way for a long time, and then you take a hard right or a hard left, it can be really difficult. And so um, this year we kind of yeah, to find a balance. Um, like Craig said, we do really believe like in the core of why we're doing certain things within the scoring. And again, it kind of feeds all back into that same mindset of like growth, sustainability, what's good for the athletes. Like, you know, that was one of the big things with the change on especially like for the upper levels with the cumulative tumbling. It was like, okay, if we if we change from same section to cumulative we're allowing kids to have a little bit uh, less, you know, impact on their bodies because they're not having to perform a same section. So, you know, taking all of that stuff into consideration, I think that in an ideal world, sure, everybody would be able to have the same set of rules and scoring and all of that. Like most sports participate in, you know, there's some variations in football or soccer, but not really right. Like everybody kind of just follows the same generalized rules. So for us, what we have to do in order to make sure that we're sticking to what we believe is best for the overall industry is really listen to our customers. We have to spend a lot of energy. And Craig does that not only throughout the summer and throughout the season, but within the actual events and talking with the scoring directors at all the different brands and, and really spending time because again, like you're in the Pacific Northwest, you have a very different experience going on than let's say the Northeast or the South. And so it's really important that we're, we're communicating with as many people as we possibly can. You don't want to have to make big adjustments based on another scoring system, but at the same time, you also want to help the customers to be able to flow in and out of events because they should be encouraged to do what's ever best for their business whether that's attending half of you know events in in one system and half in another or all in one or i mean we don't want to dictate ever to people or use scoring as a um you know form of competitive advantage we want teams to be able to compete as fluidly as possible. Is it perfect? No, but can we help build that? Yes. So we've, we've really focused on a lot of customer feedback and we're not, we're not standing in the gyms anymore. We're not in the day to day. And so we need to speak with the boots on the ground, the day to day, because we're making decisions from a, from a, like, you know, corporate structure to say, this is what we're implementing. But if we're not talking with the people that are actually having to implement it, we're doing everyone a disservice. Yeah. So.
0: I can see how that change was also really impactful on that scale because I've traveled and done, I do choreography a little bit on top of my own teams. And I, I talk to a lot of gym owners and I at least know your score sheet well enough to give people advice. And generally the advice was if you choreograph for the open, you're going to be okay on the United, which you guys had a slightly higher stunt requirement, but that running tumbling thing was a sticking point. And so that opened that up. So I, I mean, that seems like a very intelligent move there. One of the things you've referenced a couple times is your guys' ability to listen to the customers and also move at speed you know make adjustments relatively quickly uh, throughout the company and you've had an exponential growth arguably in the last four years do you foresee that becoming more challenging though if you were to by order of magnitude expand again going into next year like let's say there wasn't a major competitor in the industry and suddenly everything had to go through the open would you be able to give your customers that same level of voice and that same speed in change?
1: Sure. I think yes and no. Uh, I think it would be unfair to say hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. No problem. I think that, um, if that were the situation to happen, there would be some major adjustments that needed to happen. I do believe we could handle those in the sense of like, for example, your area does not have a lot of event producers that are bringing out events. So we have uh, over 50 event producers that we could get together and say, Hey, these are the areas that need events to be provided. So would it take, you know, a minute to accomplish that? Absolutely. But it's possible because we have the resources within our collaboration to do those things. We currently have about, I think, 350 ish events worldwide. So, you know, we have the ability to add more to certain areas, but, of course, that would take a little bit of time to do. I don't think that um, the listening to the customers will ever be a problem because I think that's a core value for us. That's something I think
2: that- so too. And I think that the team that Heidi's put together um, from the top, our team is very focused on that. And we know that that is an important value of our organization. And so I think that if we expand, obviously, we would need more employees to help with that. But that is like a a specific thing that she looks for when the hiring process is going, and what we all look for when we're adding people to our team, that we've got to make sure that they're people that can communicate well with those customers and are willing to listen to the customer. You know, and so we we have a great team in place, and and the quick decisions and stuff are because our the owners and Heidi that's at the top of our um, organization here is allowing us to do those things, and and so it is a uh, we can move quick, but I'll, obviously with a big growth there would be some changes that would need to happen
0: if we, if we, (laughs) of course, uh, course. I I wasn't trying to throw a Kobayashi Maru at you. uh.
1: No, not at all. But I mean, we grew 300% from um, year one to year two. So that was exponential growth and we did it with like a team of five people. I mean, you know, it was, we would never want to do that again. Obviously those things were, were adjusted, but you don't know when you're about to hit this, this big bump. Right. And so we've been very like methodically and like strategically looking at what does the future look like? What does the next, you know, one to three to five seasons entail as we develop new programs, as we do new things within the series, what, what is that going to look like? And who do we need to bring in to um, support those things? We recently, you know, in, in it's, it's exciting, but we recently did a hiring for a couple of positions within our registration department. And we had, I think we shut after 48 hours, the, um, the link down because we had 137 people apply for two jobs in like 48 hours. And we were like, hey, that's, probably good for you. You know, so, that's amazing. So I think, yeah, it was, it was really exciting and something that we, you know, we're like, okay, you know, if we want to pull back out of those banks, you know, we'll have more yeah. people to go yeah. forward in the future. So, so
0: one of the things you mentioned which i just i have to ask about because I'm a cheer coach like at the end of the day i love running a business but what got me started in all this craziness is my passion for cheer and you mentioned how your stunt difficulty is not a almost compulsory style right where like everyone is maxing in a lot of ways now there's been some change in that this year i actually on the united side you're seeing less people get all their drivers because um, they're being a little more Stingy with them. But from the coaching perspective, it was really frustrating three years ago to go from event to event to event and score a four, five, and a four, seven, and a four, nine, and then go to summit and get a four, six. And it's like, so I understand why the answer was, all right, we're just going to tell you do these things and then that will max out. So, how did you, Craig, how did you crack this nut? How do you make it? So we get rewarded for being the best team with the most difficulty and the best ex like how'd you do it? How'd you figure it out?
2: I don't know that we figured it out, but we definitely feel like we have a really good handle on it. We definitely had you know those those skills that you can get to that are elite skills. And those reward you so you can get a really high score that way. But then we added back in that degree of difficulty driver that we had years ago when it used to be a half a point range, it used to be a full point range. We made it a smaller range. So it's a much smaller opportunity for the judges to skew one way or the other. But we still allowed that because you know some of our elite skills are they're only required to go to a single leg. So they're going to a Liberty. But the team that goes to a body position, it's harder. They should be getting rewarded. The teams that are doing... All their stunts without front spots, that's harder. The teams that are doing um, max groups for all of their elites, that's harder. They should get rewarded. You should not be able to get the same score with a team doing less stunts with front spots on the stunts. So we we wanted to make sure that that was important and that the customers that were pushing their athletes to do those harder skills so they advance further, whether that's to the collegiate level or whether that's to a higher level in all-star cheerleading you know that those teams that are doing and pushing for those harder skill sets should be getting rewarded on our difficulty side of the score sheet. We also made our score sheet where our technique was worth more than our difficulty, and technique drivers are hit harder. So if those teams are not capable of doing that, it's not worth going for that point one because our technique starts at a point two driver taken off, so a point two, point four, point six. So mathematically. Do what you do well. We have for years, I mean, been in the industry for 25 years, 27 years, like we are been preaching clean, 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 the best clean team wins, you know, but that's not how the score sheet was really set up until we decided to do it that way and reward those teams. We had many teams that won our all-star world championship, won our end of season open events that had 200 plus teams at them that did not get perfect difficulty scores, but they didn't even get the top baseline difficulty score but their technique scores were impeccable. They were flawless. They were phenomenal technique and they got rewarded for that. So that it's a balancing act of what the industry has been pushing for. And what we've been saying, I mean, for the 25 years I've been involved in it, we've been saying that clean team should win if they're difficult enough, you know? So obviously if there's that team that has exceptional difficulty and impeccable technique, they're the winner, they're your best team, but we wanted it to, mathematically work out where that technique was a strong deciding factor. It's making it safer for the athletes. It's making it a more enjoyable experience to watch as a spectator. And, and so we, we really pushed that side of the score sheet to be that. So it balances that difficulty as far as the same exact score. And I I say this all the time in that, you know, you can run the same plays in any other sport football. You can run the same plays every game, basketball, you don't get the same score every game. And I know there's some defense involved in it, but the same teams play each other multiple times a year sometimes, and they run the same defense and offense, and the score isn't the same every time. There is a fluctual, I mean, it changes, you know, And gymnastics, diving, and other sports that don't have defense, they also do the same routines every meet, but they don't get the same score every meet. It's not how it works out. So cheerleading is very similar to those other sports in that capacity in that, It shouldn't be expected to get the exact same score every single time if there's variances with the kids that are on the floor, whether they're performing the skills in a different way and they're not truly doing elite skills that day, no matter if they were coached that way or not, they didn't perform it that way. It's not just a technique thing. Their their actual starting difficulty wasn't the same. So especially when you have multiple groups out there, you know, gymnastics and diving, it's one person. So if you see a person do one less twist or one less flip, they're not going to get credit or they take off a little early and their shoulders drop, and they don't do a full twist. They do a three quarter, but for cheerleading there's five, six, seven groups out there, maybe even two or three at some, but there's more, there's more than one. And so the athletes performing different ways doesn't necessarily equate to elite skills that day. And the judge gets to make sure they're not giving them credit for that elite skill. So
0: so you you mentioned as you were talking through your description you mentioned looking at gymnastics and you know different scores with football and different scores with basketball and diving and all these different things so it's clear that you pay attention to other sports and the way that they do things and you pull inspiration from those and just recently you guys pulled some inspiration i think from another sport or maybe a couple sports together but it's it's kind of like the red flag replay review in nfl with a little bit of official review from college football with, I think you guys are calling it a red card, which in soccer is like a bad thing. It means you're out of the game. I don't think that's your intent, but (laughs) I know nothing about it other than, of course you guys know your announcement probably went relatively viral and everyone was like, Oh my gosh, check this out. So you're talking to someone who knows nothing about it other than it's something that I get as a coach to challenge something in my division. So
1: let me give a little bit of
0: yeah, love story
1: that. and then I'll let Craig, Craig kind of tell you the actual processes. But, um, so this year in the, at the all-star world championship, I happened to go through to the score review room. I don't have any really recollection as to why I was going in there. And I never left for like four days after I got there. So, um, we were implementing some new processes and working on some stuff. And so I, I kind of, Spent time in the score review room. Well, over the course of the also world championship, I, I started realizing that um, I was hearing a pretty like large pain point from the majority of customers that were coming in through uh, through the score review process. You know, they were wanting to. Um, Identify mistakes in other people's routines, and as an industry as a whole, we've been like, "I'm so sorry, but like, we don't speak about other people's routines," and that that just kind of shut that situation down. So that's kind of been the the I would say socially acceptable answer for a very long time, maybe always. Oh, you know, um, I'm sorry if there was someone had a deduction in your division that was not caught, but we can't talk to you about this or, or, you know, basically we never got that far. Right. It was like, I can't talk to you about this. Um, so I kept hearing kind of that, that situation going on. And then I also noticed that we had a very unhealthy and toxic, um, expression, happening in the score review. Uh, there were people with very, uh, intense reactions, uh, aggressive behaviors. There were, there was an inability to let go of a decision. You know, if, if the review came back as like, you know, Hey, I'm, I reviewed this, but this stands, it was aggressive. It was, I mean, there were people that were like, I'm not going to leave. Like, I mean, it was, it was very intense all the time. And so I kind of took it all in and I was watching our score review people kind of get beat up. I mean, let's just be honest, like, you know, really getting like verbally annihilated and, you know, and just, and just having like no real solution to a problem that seemed very real. And I kind of thought to myself, okay, why are we having this reaction? And the more I stepped out of the situation, I realized we're having this reaction because people don't feel heard, they don't feel seen, and they're not um, able to communicate what these problems are causing, you know, for their teams their athletes and their families. And so I kind of came back into score review the next day and took a different perspective. And I, and I realized there are things that humans as judges are getting wrong. And we opened this door where we're like, you can have review done, but then we're basically saying, but not like this, you can't do that. And you can't talk to us about these things. And so people and this is just something, you know, I didn't make this up. This is psychology. Like if people don't feel heard, they get louder, they get more angry, they get more aggressive. And I'm watching this happen. And I'm realizing this is a culmination of 20 years of people not feeling like when they have a very obvious, like this happened you have, we're not going to fix it for you. It turns into, right? So this is where we're at now. So instead of saying like, well, this is just the way we've always done it going forward, Craig and I sat down and I was like, I don't think we can say anymore. This is just the way we do it. Because at the end of the day, we have children who are working very hard. We have parents who are paying as customers to gyms to have their, their kids, you know, trained and then we have gym owners who are bringing these kids to these events. And it's our duty to do our best to get this stuff right as close to a hundred percent of the time we have humans. We can't be perfect. It's just reality, but there had to be a solution. There had to be a answer that helped with this problem that if you clearly have a stunt that falls or a hands down, that's a deduction. If it's missed because it's live action and it's, and you know, it's, off in the corner and they just miss it. We've all benefited at some point or another in our, in our careers from that. But we've all, most, all of us have also felt the gut wrenching pain of when it's happened and you've not benefited from it. You've been the recipient of losing because of it. And so Although some people might not love this idea, if we work together as a whole, we should all agree that we want it to be right for the betterment of the of the of the actual sport and the kids, right? I mean, we, if you if your stunt dropped, they know it dropped. The kids know it dropped. And us kind of continue on with it like, well, we got away with it is probably not what's best in the long run. So Craig and I got together literally starting like at the event and said, we have to come up with a better solution for this. And so again, through focus groups and conversations and about 400 edits, we came up with the red card deduction challenge. And I'll let Craig kind of talk through that. So
2: yeah, so that red card challenge that we introduced, it went through so many, so many versions over the last four months or so before we actually filmed and started releasing the information to the industry on what we were doing. But what we landed on is, is a really great, great thing for our industry. I think um, we are allowing those teams to, if once the division is over, we are sending out the deductions to everybody in that division. So if you're in youth level two, you are going to get your, the deduction sheets for the whole youth level two team. And you're going to have a window of time to turn in your red card and challenge that the deduction sheet is wrong. We missed something on, as the judging panel. There's something wrong. With that, we will review it. If you are correct, we will give that team the deduction and notify them that someone turned in a red card challenge. We have updated their score. This is the accurate score that they should have received. And then we give you your red card back to you in case there's something else that happens later in the day. If we review it and you're mistaken, we got it correct. It's not a deduction. Then we keep the red card. We notify you that, hey, that's not a deduction on our scoring system. We did not count it then. We're not counting it now. Unfortunately, you've lost the red card for the day. Make sure that you're turning these in for valid things. You know, we don't want to be inundated with hundreds and hundreds of reviews when they're not valid. So our solution was to take the that opportunity away from those coaches if they are just frivolously giving them because they want us to check somebody in the division because they are worried they're going to beat them and maybe they had a deduction that we missed. You know, we don't want to do that. We can't score the routines twice every single event, especially at our end of season events where we have you know, 14, 1500 teams plus, that's just not an option. So, and, and we know that, you know, in that youth two division, if there is a fall that's missed, most likely there's going to be five or six red cards that are turned in. And then we're like, that's one we need to look at. We need to really, I mean, there's, there's that opportunity for the, the collective to actually challenge it. And it was, it went through many, many revisions over how many cards do we give? When do we, do we actually give them an actual card? Do they just get a sign up and say it? Uh, what view do we look at? Are we looking at multiple views? And and we landed on we need to look at the view that the judge had. So I can't. I don't want to look at the view from the music stand from the side where you can see the back row a little bit better and a, a fingertip touch the ground. Like the judge didn't have the opportunity to see that. Any other sport, it's where the ref and the umpire and the judge is positioned. And so, and it can evolve from that, but we had to start somewhere. We knew we had to start somewhere. So we started with deductions. We started with specific instances of how it's going to be handled, gave as much information out as we possibly could. And you know, in the future years, it might develop into more. It might, it might stay where it's at. It might develop into more, but, but um, I had I had the luxury that I was part of the process um, years and years ago that actually started review to begin with. So I was frustrated as a coach. I was irritated that teams, my teams, were not getting in the right ranges they should have been in, and I was just told, "Sorry, that's what the judge picked that day." And so I went down to Dallas and had some meetings with Justin at the NCA and and just kind of chatted a lot about it and was like, "You know, we need to do better. We need to have an, a review process." And I mean, for a couple of years, he called it the Hallmark card at his coaches' meetings. He's like, "Craig Hallmark, Hallmark card. This is what we're," and he's like, "I probably need to change that to a different name." But but I am all about making sure that the score is right, whether it's my own team, whether it's a challenging team that I'm against, it is the right team deserves to get the right score. And so um, not having a policy or a process in place was a problem. And it was it was a problem for our industry. Um, Heidi recognized that and, and was super willing to like have that conversation and like, let's do this. Let's fix this. Let's fix this problem as best we know how right now. And elaborate on that with other industry professionals and get their opinions. And let's let's do something about it. Let's not just sit on it another year and deal with the same problem that you've had for 20 years. You know, like let's let's stop this nonsense and and fix some fix a problem. So we really feel like it's going to go great. Uh, we had amazing positive feedback. We had a few people that were frustrated, and we have some people that are confused on when it's going to be implemented. Some people think it's going to be with all of our partner companies at every single event. And that's not something that there's happening. That we're we're doing it at our end of season events. And then our partner brands can pick it up if they want to. Some of them want to do it. Some of them want to try it out. We're going to pilot it at some of our larger events that I'm going to be able to be at and make sure that it runs smooth and consistent. But but whenever we do those red card challenges, you know, that is the final say. Like there's no discussion about it. There's no conversation about it. It is we're giving a second look on it. We'll we'll give you the response, and that's the final say on that decision, um, because at that point, then you know, multiple people have looked at that. The judges looked at it, and then also the review person has looked at it. So yeah,
0: and hopefully, I mean, people can be intelligent about like hopefully because they have a limited number of challenges. You know, they're not going to be like, oh well, that was a bobble. I'm going to submit this because you didn't give them a bobble, and you're like, well, it was it really wasn't a bobble by definition, or right? And our deduction
2: system doesn't even have bobbles on it. So ours is a hard fall or not, you know, it's a fall or it is not a fall. So, um, technique, like with our technique scores being worth so much more, bobbles are hit as technique issues in our opinion. But with that being said, some of those that are bobbles that aren't actually falls, some people think those are falls. And I'm like, that's, that's not a fall. Like if they miss their hill stretch and pull to a Liberty, that's not a fall. Like <laughs> that's, that's just, they missed yeah. their hill stretch, you know, like
1: into our processes as well, you know, to help, confirm routines, look at the deductions close. Like we have some double deduction judging that we're going to be implementing for the All-Star World Championship. So the hope is that we're not not getting it right. We're not missing it. But giving people their voice back seems to be really important to us. You know, we feel that it will help people feel like they at least have a say. And if by chance there is a human error and it costs, it gets caught and there's, you know, if it's and in in some cases it could be the difference between gold and silver. So we don't we don't want people winning by a loophole or a technicality. We want people to win because they were the best team of the day. So.
0: I love that you guys are going that direction. You're trying to deliver something for your for your customers. It's awesome. That I've been that coach, right? and it's I think the. Frustrations, my most common frustrations are seeing another team get scored in the incorrect ranges and being like, what? Why did they get full difficulty? They didn't do any body positions. And then they're just like, oh, oops, you know, our judge just wasn't paying attention, but they get the points anyways. And the not being able to even discuss execution. That is, and I don't, I haven't found the answer for it.
1: Yeah. We're not
0: there. <laughs> I, I suggested. <laughs> I talked to Justin. I suggested to Justin. I said, "Look, do it like Worlds, where it's if you want to challenge your execution range, the ju- you're signing a piece of paper that says our head judge will rewatch your entire routine, and if they feel any range is, needs to go down or up, they will adjust accordingly. So you're you're knowing, like you better believe every other range was great, and they just hosed you on this one, because I've had those where it's like you know you lose a." I'm going to use United references. You lose 0.3 for a widespread issue, and I'm like, I had one kid off on jump timing. What do you mean widespread issue? Like that—that doesn't mean your definition. But you can't—you can't even ask the question. It's not even challengeable. And you know, a 0.3 on a United score sheet, which is really 0.6 on your final score, someone else can drop a stunt basically, and they can almost beat you. So. Those are some things that from a coaching perspective can be, I think, like you said, you feel like you're not heard, not seen, because I can't even talk to you about the actual issue at hand. I'm only allowed to challenge a compulsory range on United, not yours.
1: I mean, we're still there on that too. I mean, we haven't opened up any challenges on, you know, we're going to start with black and white items, which are deductions, legality, things like that, that you can clearly see you know, that, but, and like Craig said, for now, that's where we're at. And will it evolve? We don't know, you know, depending on how this goes, but what I think is exciting about it is our industry's maturing. We're maturing and say like that we need to implement these, these processes to have a better sport. So that, that part is exciting. And, you know, we had some people that didn't love it, but for the most part, like Craig said, most people were very happy about it because they've been on both sides of that. And the one where you got by doesn't feel, as wretchedly horrible as the one where you got something taken from you. 100%. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, 100%. Yeah, so,
0: so as we kind of start wrapping a couple things up, what are any, any big things on the horizon for the open, the all-star worlds, anything that people should be paying attention to keeping their eye out for?
1: Craig, do you you have anything you want to add before?
2: I mean, All-Star World Championship is just continuing to refine what we're doing. We, you know, that first year, 300 teams, 1,200 teams, 1,500 teams. We are like, like you said, exponentially growing and we are refining our processes to make it even a better experience. I think that we have had tremendous, tremendous growth, but also tremendous feedback of positivity from that event. And so um, we are, we work on it year round. So we are pushing that. Our next big push, I think, is dance. Uh we have our dance section and we talked about it again this morning at our staff meeting. And you know, we have some dance teams at our event, but that's a big push for us and to also offer like Europe in the Northwest, you know, we need we need to get some events up your way so that you can experience what the rest of the country is experiencing. So those type things are discussions and and the growth into those localized regions so that our our product and our EPs and our, you know, giving back to those customers in a way that you know that we're here for you is available to you in your area. That is a big push for us. Um, that That's a big thing that we're doing. We also just this year, we separated out our open Orlando event that's inside universal studios to not just be one open Orlando event, but we have a prep and rec grand nationals that's going on at the same time in the park. So we have two events going on in the park at the same time, which is, it's, it's going to be challenging and fun <laughs> and exciting and all the stuff. But, uh, you know, those prep, those prep and rec teams, we don't have them in our All-Star World Championship. So they're like, we want to experience an end-of-season event opportunity also that you guys are hosting. And so we we made prep and rec Grand Nationals. We put it inside Universal Studios. And it's exciting. It's, it's, it's growing. It's, we're getting regular registration. There's bids that are involved in that. They're signing up for it and it's fun. I'll say that again. We have two venues going for that.
1: Well, they get to compete two days too. They get yeah, to are
2: competing two days. So it's not just a one day event for them. It's a full on championship event. So they have the two day competition that's going on and, you know, we partner with universal and th- those kids love that. Um, it's super affordable for those families to, to do that compared to other alternatives with theme parks and stuff like that. So, um, and I know you saw, I mean, not everybody's on the call to actually see the video, but like Heidi had her Disney mug earlier. Like we're huge Disney fans, <laughs> but you know, we're universal fans also, you know, like we love the parks. So like uh, the, that option for those kids to get to compete in, in an environment like that um, at an affordable price is, is great. And we are pushing that and excited to continue to grow that. And, you know, hopefully we have the same exponential growth with that with the first year. We have 100 or so. And then the next year, everybody sees the greatness of that event, and it explodes even more than that. So that's what I see on our horizon. That's what we're working on. Um, also, in my department specifically, we are working on the next generation of judges. So uh, we have hired another person to help me train judges. And last year, we implemented the iJudge program, and we started that. And this year, we're, we're doing we, we refined it. We found some issues that we had with it. And we're excited to launch that again in 2024, um, the beginning right after Christmas. We're going to be doing signups for that. And we are training industry professionals that have knowledgeable, but they don't know how to judge. Um, they've never been a judge. They don't understand how to do that. And we're excited to train brand new judges on our scoring system and with our expectations and and get that younger generation involved or even if they're older, but they're experienced in tumbling, a tumbling director, a tumbling coach, and they want to, they want to be a judge. You know, we're excited to be able to rope them into judging and teach them our ways. And, and that's, that's an exciting thing for me in scoring because, you know, judges, we need more of them. We need, there needs to be even more. The, the events are just growing. There's more and more events every weekend.
0: Yeah, judges are probably the most underappreciated position in our industry. Kind of like refs in in any other sport, right? The, you hate them ninety percent of the time, but you can't have the game <laughs> without just, them. And
1: you can't have it without them, that's right.
0: The judges catch a lot of flack That I, I do try and defend them. You know, I, it's just like that AccuScore <laughs> thing. You know, who wakes up and goes, "I'm going to work AccuScore," and you know what I want to do today? I want to, I want to break kids' hearts, and I want to, I want to. Yeah.
1: Just punish these
0: gym owners. Like that's not the mindset that they're going into it with. That is not the mindset. No, absolutely not. Now every once in a while. The goal is to get the score. Have I met AccuScore people that looked like someone needed to bring them a big cup of coffee and maybe a massage because they were not being very friendly? I absolutely have talked to those people. That's amazing. So... Both of you have been involved in the cheer industry for a long time. And I mean, Craig, you owned a gym. Heidi, you didn't own a gym at any point, though, did you? Or
1: I had a, a um, power tumbling oh, okay. awesome. gym for a small so But not all the,
0: the, the bulk of our listeners are gym owners. So do you have any pieces of advice for gym owners who ultimately are the lifeblood of the industry without the gym owners running these gyms? There can't be competitions. There can't be really anything. Any advice that you would give them from your years of experience?
1: Craig, do you want to go first?
2: Yeah, for me, I mean, our gym, I feel like it was very successful. Um, We maintained 100 to 125 athletes, and we were very happy to be that number. We were never, ever anticipating to be a massive mega gym or anything like that. And we created just a really good family atmosphere because that's what our core values are. Me and my gym owner, Jeff LaForce. Our core values were family. We wanted to, and I know people say it and it's cliche, we're a family, that's what the team is. But we like did family events for our customers um, because we wanted to be wholesome. We wanted to be honest. We wanted to set those kids up for success in life. And we just stayed true to our values and we didn't waver from that. Uh, we hired staff that was true to our values also. And that, that is my biggest advice is like, you stay true to who you are and you do what you know is right, and that will make your gym successful. In whatever capacity that is, whether you want to be a big mega gym and you want to grow to something, or whether you want to maintain being a smaller gym and having that that connection with every athlete and every family in the building, you know that was what we did as a, as a as a unit. We had staff meetings about it, and and we just continue to strive that we are a family unit and you know sometimes we fight as a family sometimes we don't but we are here to make these kids better uh, better humans better in life and give them great opportunities because that just if you're a gym owner like staying true to your own value and doing what is in your gut you know is right that will make you successful people will follow that people will thrive to that additionally you know if there are people in your program that don't align with your values You've got to get them out. You've got to like send them on down to the road and tell them about other programs that they might fit better in. That's what we did. Um, That's what we enjoyed um, keeping our collective people as a unit and that fit with us. And then after a while, we weren't the ones having to do that. They just kind of knew, you know, it didn't align with their core values, and we need to move one down the road. But um, but as a gym owner, we just we stayed true to who we were. We didn't waver from that, and we were extremely. Open and honest with our families. Um, we didn't. We didn't try to do things that were, you know, sneaky and try to make things happen. We were just a very upfront and honest communication was a super effective and super um, important in, in our gym owner days, my gym owner days, and my coaching days. And uh, that, that's my advice is just to continue doing what you're doing well. Don't waver from it.
1: I think the advice I would give is um, give yourself permission to do what's best for your business. And to take a look at the big picture of your business. And because we are a group of people that are 100% driven by passion and the love of the sport and the activity. And, and most of us are from our own personal experiences, you know, growing up in some discipline of this sport. Sometimes we lose sight or we feel maybe guilty or like we can't really embrace Choosing what's actually best for the business to succeed. I've had a few opportunities to teach some classes on budgeting and business management over time. And it was shocking to me to find how few gym owners were uh, pricing their pro shop apparel correctly or making sure that they were leaving room for overhead in their budgets. And they weren't, they weren't um, really allowing themselves to have permission to adequately fund their business or take a paycheck. I mean, I, most of the people that in the classes I have taught, we're not taking any form of payment whatsoever. And ultimately we're really like, you know, creating a a system that was going to just topple on itself at some point. And so I think it's okay to say this is a business and because I'm passionate about the business I do, I need to make these decisions. And you you know, you might lose a person here or there, but what you'll gain in return will be so much greater. Really just embracing the fact that there's not one way to do this. There's there's a way that's best for your business and you might have to test a thing here or test a thing there. Try new opportunities. Um, take a chance. I know there's a lot of, of years of feeling like if I don't do it a certain way, I can't be successful, but that's not really necessarily the truth. It's just putting yourself out there and trying something new and being confident about what you're choosing for your business. And then watching the reaping of of that, that you're kind of sowing into new things. So I think really embracing that it's okay to make choices based on what's best for my business and the growth and sustainability of my business. And also, you know, knowing that as we evolve, It's not always going to be the same and I'm and and be okay with that, because as we're evolving as an industry, as we're finding things that we need to expand or retract on or change, it's going to look a little different. And so getting really comfortable with the idea of growth is something we all kind of have to kind of say, I think this is this is good for me because that, that's hard. Change is hard for people, but I can speak from personal experience, um, growing 300% over one season. That was like being a stretch Armstrong doll if you're old like me or uh, whatever. I mean, you know, your arms are going in legs <laughs> in a million different directions, but ultimately that stretching, that growth, that acceptance of like, we're going here, left me at the end of that with a massive capacity to take on more. So that's the advice that I would give.
0: Wow, I love it. So accurate on both of your parts, like such good info. And it's always nice when people echo things I talk about on the podcast all the time. So I appreciate (laughs) it. So thank you for that. All right, well, hey, I really appreciate your time, especially as we're getting towards the holidays. And I know it's comp season, so I can't imagine your days are just sitting around twiddling your thumbs right now. I'm sure you're very busy every day. So we really appreciate it. I know our listeners appreciate learning more about what you guys do. And you know if you ever want to be out, in the northwest you know let me know where you know okay we will like sure. We will. yeah all right guys thank you thank you for joining us for this episode of the cheer biz podcast if you would like to be featured on our podcast click the link in our description to apply if you're interested in joining Nextgen, visit our website at www.nextgenowners.com And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening.